Right, thank you. Uh, that one line in there, victors in the midst of strife. And as long as we are in Christ, trusting in Christ, we will be, we will be victorious. Maybe even in this world, be victorious. All right, we're going to pray. We're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes, starting in the last verse of chapter 9 and going into chapter 10. Lord, we just thank you that we've had this time to worship you in song and join together. Lord, we ask you to be with us now as we worship you with the message of the word and guide us as we, what you would see in Jesus' name. Amen. In this section, Solomon is starting to do a little bit of Proverbs in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I've kind of grouped them together in, in, for this message. He's kind of got five groups, so my message will have five somewhat short points, hopefully. Uh, so let's uh, read uh, starting at verse 18 in chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but let one sinner destroy much, yet but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So does a little folly him that is, that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his, at his left. Yea, also when he that is a fool walks by the way, his wisdom fails him, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against you, leave not your place, for yielding pacifies great offense. There is an evil which I have seen under sun, as an error that proceeds from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, and the, and the rich sit in the low place. I have seen servants upon horses, and princes walking as servants upon the earth. He that digs a pit shall fall into it, and whoso breaks a hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Whoso removes stones shall be hurt therewith, and he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. If the iron be blunt, he, and he do not wet the edge, then must he put forth more strength, but wisdom is profitable to direct. Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment, and a babbler is no better. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. A fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be and what shall be after him. Who can tell him? The labor of the foolish wearies even them that cause, whose cause he knows. Lost my place. Sorry. <laughs> uh, he knows not, and he knows not how to go to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your ch king is a child and your princes eat in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when the king is the son of nobles and the princes eat in their season for strength and not for drunkenness. By much slothfulness the building decays, and through idleness the hands of the house drops through. A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes merry, but money answers all things. Curse not the king, nor let your... No, not in your thought, and curse not the rich in your bedchamber, for the bird of the air shall carry the voice of that which hath wings shall tell the matter. So the first group of verses I want to look at is verse 18 through verse, verse 1, and he really talks about how folly can destroy a reputation. 
And we all know that. We've seen, maybe we've experienced in our own life where we've had a really good testimony and then we do one really stupid thing. And all people will ever remember is that one bad thing. And this is something that is very hard to get over. We've also seen it where we've had various, especially like televangelists who start doing something wrong and all they're remembered for is the adultery they committed in their church and they, all the years of being an evangelist and maybe even a good evangelist go down the drain. Now, and the hard thing is, and he says right at the end of it, it is hard for the foolish man to get a reputation back. It takes so much more to get rid of that one mistake. And people will go, well, you know, I just, uh, if I'm going to make them, I'm going to make my mistakes early in life. Well, that's great. Get a, get a really bad reputation and try to get away from it. Now, and we all live in small towns. We know how reputations hold on forever. In a big town, you might escape your reputation a little bit, maybe. But, you know, this is something that Solomon is telling us. We need to be careful how we live our life. Not because we're under the law and trying to please God and, and win points with God, but because if you're trying to tell people the gospel of Christ and they just look at you and say, well, I, I know that you're a thief and a liar and an adulterer and a, a fornicator. I don't have anything to listen to you. It is hard. Now, we do know that people get saved, and they can have their life changed, and people will look at them, and eventually that new life will override their past. You can get past this bad <laughs> reputation. But everybody's always looking at you as to when are you going to fall. You know, and this is true. If somebody gives up drinking without the power of God and everything, everybody's always looking at them, well, when are you going to fall? One of the things, you're just going to be so bad that you're going to take that drink again. And it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because everybody expects you to do it, and when you need the help, they don't come and help you, and you fall back into your sin. And this is where the value of the body of Christ comes in, into effect. We are to build up and edify one another and, say, and talk about good things and encourage people. You know, when people turn to leave, I am happy to see that. I'm going, great, I'm going to pray for you that God will help strengthen you to continue. Because without God's strength, we are all going to fall. Plain and simple, we are going to fall without God's strength, and our folly will follow us. And this is the thing we keep saying. Sin always has worse consequences than we expect. Always. You know, we think, well, I, I, I'll, I'll go drink today and I'll just have a hangover tomorrow. Well, that may be the worst case, but it's probably not. How much stupidity did you commit while you were drunk? You know, did you get behind the wheel and really do something stupid? You know, uh, we hear the stories all the time. Somebody waking up in the morning with somebody they don't know who it is that they were, they were with because they got really stupid while they were drunk. You know, and that's just one of the things that we can talk about. You know, there's all kinds of things that, will ca that can happen. And this is what he's saying. One piece of folly affects you. And this is true for children, for adults, for the elderly. It doesn't matter what age bracket you're in. One folly can ruin your reputation for a long time. Not permanently, you know, but it can ruin the reputation that you carefully built over years. 
And it's very important for us to be able to heed these. He says, the wise man's heart is in his right hand and the fool's is in his left. The wise put his, on the, his wisdom on his approved side and he says, I'm going to be wise. I'm going to listen to God. And this is something that's very important for us. Do we put our life on what God says or on what we think? And I, I, I am burdened when people go, well, I just don't know if that's true when they read the Bible. That's a sad place to be. If every word of this book is not true, don't waste your time living by it. Now, I've only, I've only been studying it for a mere 48 years, and I have not found anything that's not true in it. And I will tell you I don't expect to find anything in it that's not true, even if I study it for another 48 years, because the other uh, theologians that I have read have never found anything that's untrue in it. And if anything is not true, it's not worth following. And this is something we need to be able to go. When God says something, we can hang our hat on it. We can say, this is true. I may not understand it. It may not make any sense to me. But I go, God, you speak the truth. Because if God can lie to us, we're in trouble. It's, you know, he's, not, he's not God if he can lie to us. And he doesn't lie to us. He tells us that there's a heaven. And I find it very interesting that people will put their hope in eternity with God after they die, but they won't trust him in this world. Well, you know, God, I believe that you're going to take me to heaven. I believe you're going to give me a mansion in heaven. I believe you're going to take away all sorrow. I believe you're going to give me a, a wonderful place when I'm in heaven, but I just don't believe you down here. God, you just don't know what it's like down here. You might know heaven, but you just don't know what it is like down here. My God knows whatever we're going through. Jesus came, lived in the flesh, resisted the devil unto death. Now, none of us have resisted all the way to death of, on sin. That is in this room, anyway. There are people that have resisted unto death, but not in this room. If you're, if you're in this room, you haven't resisted to death. Makes sense? You're, you're still alive. You're not dead. So... Uh, we look at the second part of this in verses 4 through 7. And this is kind of an interesting thing where he starts saying that things are backwards. If the, if the spirit of the ruler has anything against you, leave not your place and for you being pacified sin. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, an evil that proceeds from the rulers. Folly is it that the dignity of the rich is, great, is in great dignity and the rich in low places. I have seen servants riding horses and princes walking in the, on the earth. And while I was reading this, all, all I could think about is our world. <laughs> good is said to be bad. Bad is said to be good. Everything is backwards. If you're, if you're poor, somehow there's great value in being poor and there's great, great horror in being rich. And we listen to our world and we see Solomon's exhortation here. He says it's folly. It's not wise when everything is backwards. And we were told it was going to happen. You know, they told us that the end days would be like the days of Noah, where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And what do we hear in today's world? Well, that might be your truth, but my truth isn't the same thing. Well, I have a problem with that because something is either true or it is not true. It is not my truth and your truth and somebody else's truth and somebody else's truth. If something is true, it is always true. If it is not always true, it is a lie. Plain and simple. 
If it's not true, it is a lie. Satan has many lies to try to deceive people. God puts one truth out there. Satan will give all kinds of lies. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. One way, one very specific way, Jesus Christ sacrificed on the cross, resurrection, burial, resurrection, and gives us life. Any other way is a lie. <clears throat> what did Satan say at the very beginning of our creation to Eve? You know, God's lied to you. If you eat that fruit, you'll be like him. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. God's a liar. Don't believe him. Everywhere else in Scripture is the same thing. We see the same thing. God hasn't told the truth. There's other ways. Religion tells people, do more good than bad, and you'll please the deity. We don't, we're not going to tell you how much good you have to do to please him, or her in some cases in this world. But you do more good than bad, and you'll please the deity. And it sounds good. It really beats up to my, my, my pride and my ego. You mean I can earn my salvation if I'm just good enough? The pride of life. And Satan plays on that with so many people. When you witness to people and tell them the good news about the gospel, you say, just turn to Jesus Christ, admit you're a sinner, and, and ask him to be your Lord. And they go, too simple, I'm not doing anything in that process. Because their pride gets in the way. You know, what's the, what's the other one we're having that's coming back in reincarnation? Just keep trying until you get it right. You know, just, when you die, you start all over. A little better, a little worse, depending on how your life was, and you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it till you get to perfection. That's even sadder because people think they can do whatever they want and, and have another try. But we need to keep in mind, God said the way to heaven is through Jesus Christ only. And we need to understand the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus told the, the followers, you have to be like a children in simple faith, believing what doesn't make sense. Because in our mind, it doesn't make sense that God has got a gift out there that's so precious that says, I've got eternal life for you. I'm going to forgive you of all your sins. And people fight against it. And the sad thing is, even in churches where people come to Christ by faith, they really become, become Christians, and then people pile a bunch of rules and laws on them and say, okay, now you've got to prove you're a Christian by living this way. Now, you know I'm a firm believer that if Christ is in you, you are going to change and you're going to be living in a more godly way. But it's not me trying to please God. It's not me following a bunch of rules. It's God changing who I am so that I act more like he is. And I know many of you in this room have been that way. I've watched you changing over time and see the change that God has made in you. And it's so simple. And it's not an upside-down world for us. Now, our life is very upside-down as far as the world's concerned. You know, I love going to work. There, there's a couple people who just go, you can't be as happy as you are. You come in singing, you're smiling, you're, you're having a good time. How can you be so happy? I even have one guy, what drugs are you on? I said, Jesus. <laughs> you know, because they don't understand contentment. They don't understand joy because they don't have it. And nothing they're doing is getting it because they're trying to do things that are not God's way of doing it. And we've got to make sure we submit ourselves to God. 
Now, the word submit is something people don't like, but it means to just do what God says. Follow, follow his instructions, live the way he wants, do what he has asked us to do. Because we love him and he loves us. Actually, he loves us and then we love him. <laughs> he says, you know, we know this love because he first loved us. And you know, I've seen this happen so often. People get saved and they start trying to earn their, earn, earn their salvation or keep their salvation. You know, it's a gift. It's a gift. You know, if you give somebody a gift and they go, well, what do I got to do to pay you back? Nothing. I gave you a gift. And it almost gets irritating if they keep going, well, how can I pay you back? You can't. I gave it to you. And there are so many people in churches and, and that are trying to pay God back for a gift. It doesn't work. Rest. Rest in Christ, and he will change you. Living a Christian life is a very simple thing. You just rest. Now, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to do lots of things, but I am not striving to do them. It is what comes natural to the spirit-filled person. And if you're in Christ, you are spirit-filled. And he changes us. And then we start speaking about him. Can anybody remember when they were first saved how excited everything was and they had to just tell everybody about God? You know a whole lot about it. You just knew what you did. You knew that you were forgiven and you felt the weight of the forgiveness sins come off you. And you just couldn't help but talk about him. My prayer is that each one of us will get that excitement back. For we just can't help but talk about God and how he's changed our life. The greatest testimony we have is what did God do for us? I love it. I, you know, I've told my testimony to you all many times. I got saved when I was 10 years old, and God changed my life. I was a mean, angry, uh, hot-tempered person to the extreme. I still have an edge of temper, but nothing like it used to be. And it's been able to be con under control, but God lifted away that. Now, he didn't have much else to take away from me at 10 years old. But you know, what did God do for you when you turned your life over to him? What changed? Because we're told that we are a new creation in Christ. Something should change. It may be as simple as getting a love for God's word. I love it when people get saved and they go, I can't get enough of, the God's bi of, the, of the Bible. You know, last week I couldn't understand anything I read. Now, now it all seems to make sense. Do you realize that's a gift from God and a changed heart? You know, I just love going to be with God's people. Couldn't, had no room for church in the past. That's a changed life. What did God do? Concentrate on what God has done. Know that he has changed something. I am a firm believer that if nothing changed in your life at all when you accepted him, you just said a prayer and some words and didn't have a changed life. And you might want to talk to God and say, God, do I know you? Do I really know you? Because Christianity is a relationship with the God of the universe, not a bunch of rules to follow. And this is what he's saying here. Is everything upside down? Is everything backwards? Excuse me. Verses 8 through 11, he here is telling us that when you plan to do wrong, it usually comes back to haunt you. 
Okay? He says, he who digs a pit, and this is the, the idea here is to catch somebody in it, will fall into their own pit. He that tries to move the stones, and when he's talking the stones here, he's not just pick, saying picking up stones, but in, their, in those t uh, places, they would make piles of rocks on the corners of their property and, and walls, and he's saying, don't move the property markers. <laughs> and if you're trying to steal by moving the property markers, you will get caught, and there will be uh, problems with it. And he keeps going over each one of these things. And you know, we understand this to be true. What, what you sow, you will reap. If you sow evil, you will reap evil. If you sow good seeds, you generally receive good back in return. And this is what Solomon is saying. Don't go out planning to do evil or bad is going to happen to you. And you know, the one thing about the rules of sowing and reaping is that you always get more than you sow. All right? And then this makes sense to us, right? I don't know how many, I'm not a great gardener, but when I plant a seed in my garden, you know, I take a cucumber seed, I do not plan to get one cucumber out of that seed. You know, I'm hoping to get a lot of cucumbers from that seed. Uh, if I plant the jalapenos that I love so much, I'm not looking to get one jalapeno, I'm looking to get a lot of jalapenos out of that seed. When we sow evil, we may not be wanting to reap a lot of evil, but the rules of sowing and reaping still exist. We will reap more than we sowed. And this is important for us to understand. Why do I not want to sin? Not because it displeases God, but I have to suffer greatly when I sin. That's my reason for not wanting to sin. Jesus paid for my sin. I don't want to face the consequences for it. It's not any fun. And I do plenty of sinning, and I do have plenty of consequences to face. So we want to be careful about this, you know, that we don't go out and lead this kind of life. Verses 12 through 15, the words of a wise man are gracious, but the lips of the fool will swallow up himself. In the beginning of words, the mouth is foolishness, and in the end of the talk is mischievous madness. The fool is full of words, and man cannot tell what he shall or what shall be, and he, or who can tell him. The labor of the fools speak. Can't read the sentence for some reason. <laughs> the, the labor of the fools wearies every one of them. They know that they know because he knows not how to go to the city. This is one that can really scare most of us. He's saying. The fools talk a lot. <laughs> you know, we all know people who have been around people. Hopefully we're not that type of person who just doesn't know when to stop talking. That constantly talks. And we want to be careful about that because we are told that we're going to be held accountable for every idle word we speak. How many times have you been in a conversation and all of a sudden you've been talking for 15, 20 minutes and all of a sudden you realize you're talking about things you shouldn't be talking about? You're speaking foolishness. Maybe you're using innuendo at some point in there and, and, and not really crossing a complete line, but you're skirting on the line that is not where you're supposed to be. You're not edifying people. You're tearing people down. You're participating in gossip. Many words bring foolishness. 
And you know, this is something that is over and over repeated in the scriptures. Be careful what you say. We're encouraged to edify people. We're encouraged to build up. We're encouraged to speak God's truth. And unfortunately, when we start speaking a lot of words, our flesh usually gets involved. And it says, you know, remember, we memorized the verse, out of the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you start speaking enough words, everybody's going to know what the abundance of your heart is. Do you have love for other people, or are you bitter toward other people? Do you care for people, or are you ready to tear them down? It won't take too long if you're speaking for people to really start understanding what your heart is. Now, if your heart is truly for God and everything, speak all the words you want because God's words are going to come out. But my experience of myself and when I watch others, eventually pride comes out, bitterness comes out, destruction of people comes out because you can very quickly get to the place where you're not really thinking about your words, you're not guarding your words carefully, and your heart starts speaking. We need to be careful. Be quick to hear and slow to speak, it tells us in James. And there's times when you just need to be silent and just be careful what you say. Many words cause problems. And in one of these, one of these verses, it says that the babbler <laughs> talks about the babbler. You know, how many of us have been around a babbler? They have an opinion on every topic. They're an expert on every topic. They know everything. And they're going to let you know that they know everything. You know, because they have something on every to topic. I love my grandmother greatly, but she was an expert on every to topic and knew better than anybody else on every single topic. And you know, she was this type of person, always, always talking. And half the time, not making any sense. You know, and I loved her greatly. She was my grandmother, and I loved her greatly, but you know, she just could be irritating sometimes. <laughs> Especially when you knew that she didn't know what she was talking about, and she still had opinion, authoritative positions on everything. We don't want to be those type of people. We need to learn to speak at the right time and speak the right words. When we look at Jesus, Jesus did not answer every single person that he, that he came in contact. And when he did, usually his words were short. Now, we have some places where he was preaching, and there's a long, long thing. But usually, if you read his answers, he talked to somebody. And, and if you have the red letter editions, which I don't really care for, but in this case, it makes a great example. You see four or five uh, verses in black, and then one or two verses in red, and then back into black again. He just says, here's what I'm going to say. And he says it real quick, and he moves on. We don't, and this is really important when we're witnessing to people, we do not need to argue theology with people. We just tell them the truth and leave it. Now, if they want to ask questions, to answer their questions is fine. But you're not going to debate somebody into salvation. Because if you can debate them into salvation, somebody else can come along and give them reasons to not believe what you told them. Now, that doesn't mean we don't know what we believe and why we believe and, give, and are ready to give answers. I'm ready always to tell you what I believe, why I believe it. But if you're going to sit there and disagree with me back and forth, I will defend, but I am not going to debate. You know, I have several people that I work for out in the, or within the prison that 
you know, I have good, in, good, good talks with them, but when they get to the place where they want to debate it, it's like, nope, we're not going there. You know, we're not going there. I'll tell you what I believe, I'll tell you why. And I've all told you, I've got very strong opinions on what I believe. And if you all don't want to believe it, I don't really care other than, other than a couple of facts, and I've told you, this is God's word. It is all 100% true. I will fight to the death that the Bible is true. Because without it, we do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have nothing to stand on. I will fight to the death that Jesus Christ is God, the Son of God, who died on the cross for my sins, was buried and resurrected. Out of those two things, the other one, that he's the only way to heaven. But those three things, I'm going to, I will fight to the death on those three things, and I will argue with anybody on those three things that want to try to say something different, especially if they come into this church and try to say something different. Outside of that, there's not a whole lot I'm going to argue with. You don't, don't want to agree with me on certain things? Fine. Now, all I ask is you know what you believe and why you believe it and be able to defend it from the Bible. And I've been through these discussions, you know, because I don't always agree with all the pastors. I know what they're going to say. And I know why I don't agree with them, and they know what I'm going to say and why they don't agree with it. And when we, when we all get to heaven, they'll find out I'm right. <laughs> I know. I, may, I have just as likelihood of being wrong, I know. But I like to, I like to say I know that because I, I wouldn't be teaching it if I didn't believe it. I really wouldn't. Uh, but when we get to heaven, we will have to then say, God, this is what I believe. This is why. You know. He'll ask us why, you know, he'll make us give an account. Give an account for what you, what you believe. And James and Peter said, be ready to give a defense. One of the things about so many Christians are, there are many Christians who don't know what they believe and why. They are not ready to defend what they believe. You know, and I've heard it, well, I just believe because I have faith. Well, that's wonderful, but what's your faith in? What is your faith in? You know, I talk about the first 11 books of, of uh, first 11 chapters of Genesis being absolutely 100% and essential to faith. We are created beings by God. We are not billions and millions of years old uh, uh, parts of evolution. God did not use evolution to create us. It says he spoke and we came into existence. Why is that important? Can you be a Christian and not believe that? I, I suppose you could. All you could do is believe that Jesus died for your sins and accept it. But the question would be, why did he die for our sins if we came around by evolution and death and suffering came not because of the fall of man, but because of scientific evolutionary ideas? This is why evolutionists are attacking the beginning so strongly, because if they can get rid of Adam and Eve, they get rid of the need for Jesus, and they make God a liar. Does that make sense? Why it's important? Absolutely to me. I cannot throw away Genesis. You know, can you be a Christian without Genesis? Like I said, you could, but why? What are you believing in? Death and sin did not come because of the fall. Why would you believe that God had to restore it? But you know, these are the things. What is important has to be stood on. And then the last part on this that he talked about in verses 16, where to the land when the, child, when the king is a child and his princes eat in the morning. In other words, they're always feasting. Blessed is the land whose king is of the noble and princes eat in the right season and not for drunkenness. By much slothfulness the house decays and through the idleness of the hands the, the house falls. The idea of being slothful 
in being turned around. We have a country right now and a world right now where leaders aren't leading. Most of them are doing what they think is right for themselves, not what's right for their countries. And I'm not just speaking outside, you know, just America. We're really bad, but other countries are doing the same thing. Leaders not doing what's right for their country and their people. We knew this was going to happen. It's what the Bible tells us. In the end times, these things will happen. He says slothfulness. We are in a place where the world is rewarding slothful behavior. And it's a sad world out there. It used to be, and especially in America, that you work, if you didn't work, you didn't eat, just as the Bible says. Now, there are people who cannot eat or work, and they need to be taken care of. But you know, we're in a world where everybody has a reason why they can't work. You know, everybody seems to have a reason why they can't work. And it's a really sad place to be because most of them aren't really that valid, really aren't that valid. You know, it's kind of my attitude toward the flag being at half-mast anymore. When I was growing up, the flag was hardly ever at half-mast, and now it seems like everybody gets the honor of a half-mast flag, which has totally destroyed it. And I go, oh, we got, we got another person who, who died somewhere, somehow, some, you know, maybe they broke their fingernail. I don't know. You know that's how I'm getting to the point now. Somebody broke their fingernail or something, they were at half-mast. You know, it's, it's, it's lost its value because it's so used. We need to be careful about how we look at things. Is our salvation precious? You know, I look at the blood of Jesus Christ being shed for me, and it is so precious. And we want rulers that lead. And it says, if you're going to have a feast, have a feast. And it says, it says in here on verse 19, I had to bring this one out before we go to end. It says, but money answers all things. Literally, this word should have been money supplies all things, all right? Not answers. He's not saying go bribe everybody <laughs> to get what you want. The word is mistranslated there. It should be supplies. And it is true. If you have money, you can supply your needs. The sad thing about money is you can also supply all your needs so much that you start to ignore God. You know, God, I don't need you. I've got, I've got my money. I, why do I need you? If you don't have money, you're praying to God for everything that you need. You're going to God for everything. You're asking him, God, I've got $100. How do I spend this? Because I've got $300 worth of bills. <laughs> and asking for God's guidance and for his provision. And this is something I have seen over the years. People get blessed by God, and they get a little bit of money. And the next thing you know, they're not coming to church, and you get a hold of them. Well, you know, I've been using my boat. I've been using the, the cottage on the beach. I've been using the cottage in the mountains. I'm just so busy. Busy, busy, busy using the stuff that I got blessed by. We need to be careful that we always put our trust in God. And, you know, these are, these are some of the Sol these proverbs that Solomon gave in this chapter. I bunched them all together so we could go through them quickly. <laughs> um, but remember, Solomon is still here looking at the world's way of doing things. He didn't talk much about God on this part. He's getting ready to turn the corner as we get to the end of this book. He'll finally get to the place where he ends up saying, this is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Our whole duty is to serve God. We were created to serve and worship God. And without God dwelling in us, we will never be full. We will never be complete. 
And this is why it is so important. And God knew that we owe him a debt. We sin, we owe him a debt, and we cannot pay that debt because he demands perfection. So he paid the debt that he did not owe and we could not pay. And he did it for us. He did it for the world, not just us sitting in this room, but for the whole world. And all it takes to go, go to heaven is to say and believe with your whole heart, God, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. Thank you for dying on the cross. Come in to me and be my Lord. And it has to be meant. Those are the right words. But saying those words without meaning them is not going to be anything. But when you mean it, he'll change. He will change you. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and care. Lord, if there's anybody listening on the Internet or even in this room that doesn't know you, we ask that today will be the day that you, they come to you and that they will truly make you Lord of their life. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.